Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, I invite you, would you turn with me in your Bibles? We're going to dive right in here this morning to the epistle of 1 John. So go with me if you have your Bibles, if you don't, if you have your devices, and jump right into the epistle of 1 John. We want to begin our study together this morning, following John to the heart of Jesus. We make the notes available for you on the QR code. If you want, you can just, uh, again, tap on it. You can download the notes. They'll be in front of you. You can save them on a document of some type. So we make that available for you for your convenience. Likewise, we do that for our live streamers, notes available. So you have the notes. This has just become a a wonderful, convenient way to be able to track with us as we talk about the Apostle John. We are not doing verse by verse. We are following a man whose heart desires to grow in Jesus. And he would refer to himself as the beloved, the disciple who loved Jesus, and I think that is, that is the intent that we have. We want to know Christ. We want to grow, grow deeper in relationship. And so following John, I think, helps us to learn what he did. So we have left the gospel of John. We are now in the epistle, the letter of John. And we're picking it up in the very first chapter of his first letter. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Title of, if I put a title on this, these verses, it's how to reignite your joy. I I, I draw it from verse seven, or sorry, verse four, where he says, I say this, Because we need to have a journey of joy. So how do we enter into a journey of joy? Sometimes our faith becomes a journey of obligation, a journey of confusion, a journey of, you know, maybe it's a sad journey and and you're not finding joy in your faith. And so, listen, this morning, if you are struggling finding joy in your faith, Reach out and grab a hold of what John's talking about here. John is addressing something that I think is so relevant to today, September the 4th, 2022. This is as relevant as it was, maybe even more relevant, than in 
than it was even in his day. Reigniting your joy. It was 1492. Christopher Columbus set out to discover the Orient. 1492, he set out to discover the Orient, and he ended up in the Caribbean. <laughs> some people have said, and usually it's women, I don't know why, some people have said that Columbus set a pattern in the last 500 years for us men, we just don't know how to stop and ask for directions. And that is certainly me. And so we, like Christopher Columbus, just keep going and going, and maybe we'll discover new worlds. I want to just, I want to defend the men here to say, because why ask directions when it's a whole new discovery, just finding the place? Like, you know, GPS has really destroyed that for us, because give us enough time, we'll find it. Well, the Bible talks about our faith as a journey. It's a trip we're taking. We are starting at the starting point of, John says, born again. Not of flesh and blood, but we're born of the Spirit. Born again in Christ Jesus, a child of the Lord. And in that, now the journey begins. It's not the end of the journey. We're not just putting in time until we get to the great by and by. It's a journey of faith. It's a journey of everlasting life. Everlasting life does not begin when you get to heaven. Everlasting life begins at the moment you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And everlasting life begins right there. Then the journey towards heaven is in play. And so we are in the journey. You and I are in the journey. We're essence in the journey because you're here. You have flesh and blood. You're breathing. We're still in the game. We're in the journey. And so as we follow through this journey... We are learning the lessons as this great apostle had learned them many years ago. We're following John to the heart of Jesus. John, when he wrote this letter, probably was the only one alive of the 12. It's suggested that he's writing this letter around 90 A.D. This is about 50 or 60 years after the resurrection of Christ. He's getting older. And likely, all the other apostles are dead. None of them died by natural cause. That's to be noted. I personally here this morning would like to die of natural cause. I, okay, don't hear me wrong. I don't want to die right away. So don't, you know, ask me for a date. But when I die, I want to die of a natural cause. I don't want somebody to kill me. I don't want necessarily, you know, something to intrude in the moment where it, it's not maybe a natural cause. We, I think we anticipate growing old and then naturally dying. John is testifying that those before him, the other 11, didn't die of natural cause. They died because they were killed. They were martyred. And church history identifies the different ways they suspect maybe all of them died. And it wasn't pleasant. John is left. It's not that they didn't try to kill John. They tried to kill John too. God just wouldn't let them. And so there's, there's ideas and there's rumors about maybe how they tried to kill him. But he is still living. He's writing this book. They say it's about 90 AD. And so John here is testifying 
The others are all gone. He's testifying to some very important things. He's, he's the last of the 12 of the eyewitnesses testifying here. I think that's pretty significant. This causes me to slow down when I read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I invite you, if you haven't read it recently, would you do that? We're going to visit these again in the days ahead. But he's an eyewitness to everything he is talking about here. And he is talking, there was a number of things happening. John was overseeing a lot of the churches in the Asia Minor era at that time. He was overseeing a lot of what was going on. And there were problems. There always is problems. Whenever there's people, there's problems. And so there's people and there's problems. And John is responding to some problems. So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is... Now 1st John in particular, he's, re, he's starting off. He has to address some things. And what was happening is the Christians in Asia Minor had become bitterly divided between those who held to the apostolic teachings. We hold to the apostolic teachings. The original writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The writings of the Apostle Paul. We hold true to those. And so those were holding true to the writings of the apostles. But there were those also who were embracing new and novel ideas about Jesus. Of course, we have that today as well. And so John is saying, listen, I, I need to clarify some things. And so he's writing this letter to clarify some misunderstandings. As we'll see in a few minutes, one of John's reasons for writing this letter was to reignite the joy. Because when there's conflict, it tends to steal your joy. So get yourself centered and jump on standing firm. You know, it's, it's over the years, and I, just, I wasn't planning to share this. It just popped into my head, but maybe it's important. Um, over the years of, of pastoring and, and just advising, I have observed this that those who are struggling most in their faith and what they believe, what they should and shouldn't do, are frequently, frequently, not always, frequently those who still want to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And it's that in-between state that is the most difficult place to be. It's that place where you want to follow Jesus, but you're being pulled. There's a lot of doubts and there's a lot of pull here. You want to follow him. There's a desire. Maybe you've made the decision to follow Jesus, but you're being pulled back here. You want, you don't want, you haven't given up this. You're not even sure you want to give up that. Or maybe that you should give it up. And I call that a little bit of fence sitting. And I've never sat on any fence and been horribly comfortable. Have you? Usually fences are not meant for you to perch for any length of time. Fences are for the purpose of getting over. You go from here to there and you get over the fence. But sometimes people are perched on the fence. And I'm going to suggest over the years I've noticed that the most difficult time in your faith is when you don't get off the fence. Can I encourage you? Get off the fence. Make a strong stand for Jesus. And you'll discover your joy will come back. But when you try to please both worlds, you please neither. And your joy is stolen from you. Make a decision. Stand firm. Go all out. Be radical. Be fanatical for Jesus. Pursue him with all your heart. Isn't that what the Bible says? If you seek him with all your heart, the Bible says you will what? You'll find him. But if you pursue him with half your heart, 
you're going to be miserable because you're neither here nor there in the worlds that you're leaving, but you haven't arrived. Get off the fence. You're never meant to perch. I had to do a message sometime. Don't perch on the fence. I just thought of that. That's kind of a weird phrase. Get off the fence. And so John is saying, you want to reunite your joy? He's addressing, you got to get off the fence. You got to know what it is that you're standing for. He shares four things in these verses. I'm going to, as quick as I can, go through that. It is so important for us to grab a hold of this today, these four things. So these four factors John points us to, to give and to reignite your spiritual joy. Here they are. Number one, be sure to build on the right foundation. Shouldn't have to be said, but it needs to be said. Build on the right foundation. Let's pick it up again, verse one and two. I'm gonna invite you. Would you just join me? I think the uh, words are, yeah, the words are here. Would you say it along with me? Let's read these two verses together. Everybody one voice. That which was from the, okay, everybody together. Is it there? Is it there? Okay, everybody together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Was all that up there? It it wasn't all up, because I noticed it dropped off, so okay. You're okay, I forgive you. All right. Okay, let me just break this down for us here. Uh, The word of life here, he mentions here, remember, see in the last part, uh, where he has in verse 1, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The word of life, he's referring to who? Speak to me. Jesus. He's referring, yep, not the Bible. The Bible does give words of life, but he's referring to him who is the word, the living word of life. Now, if you go back to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, he starts the Gospel of John The first verse, some of you know it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how he started all his writing. He started back in the Gospel of John, which was written earlier, in the beginning was the Word. What's he referring to? He's not referring to the Bible. He's referring to the living one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. God didn't go around in the Bible in heaven before all this. The Word, it wasn't the written scripture. It was the living Word. It was the pre incarnate Christ. So when John starts again, the first letter, he starts in a similar way. He is saying here, we proclaim concerning the word of life, similar to how we started off in the gospel of John, the incarnate Christ. And then note the words. He uses the plural we. Now it's a little odd because he's writing It's not a bunch of them writing this. One person's writing this. But he's making identification that there's more that are saying this than just him. Okay, we pick it up. He says in verse 1, We have heard, we have seen with our own eyes, we have looked at with our hands, we have touched, we have proclaimed, we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which has appeared to, not me, has appeared to us. You see the plural? Okay, that needs to stand out. Multiple plural words. We, us. He makes identification. What's he saying? He's saying that he is not alone in this. 
He is saying all the apostles and those who travel with Jesus, we collectively together, we have seen this. You're not alone. I think somewhere in Hebrews, isn't it Hebrews chapter 12? We have a great cloud of witness. And John is identifying a great cloud of witness. We have seen this. And then John uses four verbs describing the experience that we or he had experienced with the incarnate Christ. The four verbs, he heard it, he saw it, he looked at it, and he touched it. Okay, follow, let's follow through this. Now, he says he heard it. We go back to verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. So John's identifying he has heard Christ himself. John can identify. He knows the sound of Jesus' voice. And when Jesus spoke, the crowd would say he has such authority, authority that we've never seen before. He's heard with his own ears Jesus declare people's sins are forgiven. I heard him, John said. I heard him say it. John heard Jesus when they walked together as a crowd, and he heard the gravel crunch under Jesus' feet. John heard the sound of the whip that Jesus cracked when he cleared off the money changers' tables. He heard the sound from Jesus. John is saying, I heard him with my own ears. Then he continues, I saw him with my own eyes. I saw with my own eyes miracle after miracle after miracle. I saw with my own eyes them coming to arrest Jesus. And I saw with my own eyes Jesus hanging on the cross and breathing out his last, Father, forgive them. I, 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 I heard it and I saw it. Remember, he, he's, a, he's looking back 50 years later. I was there, he said. I was there when that happened. Then John continues the third verb. I looked at it, he said. Now, looked at it is a phrase that means to stare intently at. So, you know, I'm just gazing through the sanctuary here, and I see my dear friend Onella here back from your vacation. Now, I, I saw Onella, but now I'm intensely looking at Onella, okay? See the difference? One is you just saw. The other, you... You intent, you're looking deep, you're looking deeply. So John is saying, I've heard, I have seen, but then when he says, I have looked at, what he is saying is he is stopping. It means to study. So what was happening with Christ, he says, I studied Christ. I just didn't hang with the guy. I stared at him. <laughs> I, I dug deep. I looked behind the person. And I would too, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm thinking, is he for real? Is this guy for real? And so how many times do you see somebody and you think they're too good to be true? So you study them because you wait for them to blow it so that you feel better that they're, well, they're just like you. So John, when he saw the living Messiah, he not only saw him, but he intensely studied Jesus. That's what it means when he says, I saw him. I looked at him. I contemplated what it means. So when Jesus would say something, John would go back over it. That's why often they went back and they repeated things Jesus said. I was studying him. 
I was contemplating what was said. It's kind of what Solomon does in the book of Proverbs, where he contemplates words and things done. John looked at everything Christ did. And then the fourth verb, John says, I touched him with my hands. I touched him with, he laid his head on his bosom. I touched him. When Jesus rose from the dead, all the disciples were there touching his scars. Is it real? Is it real? I touched him, he said. I heard him. I saw him. I looked at him. And I touched him. He's saying, so you can trust Jesus is real. Hallelujah. That's how he started his letter. You can trust he's real. You stand on a sure foundation, he's saying. This is not shifting sand. This is not a myth. This is not a hope will be. He is your rock. Sure foundation. I was thinking about chapter one when I came across a YouTube. I put the YouTube up here for you to see. It was a clip of mountain goats on the side of a cliff surrounded and being pursued by wild dogs. Now, it was actually a little video clip. Maybe some of you have seen the video clip. And the dogs are trying to get to the goats. And if you see the whole picture, the dogs are all around. They're below, they're beside, they're above, there's a bunch of them. And they're coming and they're nipping at the goats. They're trying to get the goats to move. And what the goats have to do is trust the sure foundation. Because if they're moved, they're done. So the goats are standing there. You see the dogs coming close. Nip, 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 bark, bark, bark. Do all that you want. But the goats have to trust their foundation. And church, I thought, I thought that's good. I have to trust my foundation. I have to trust the foundation of what God has given me. I have to trust the foundations of the apostolic teachings. I have to place my trust in the foundations of the teachings of Christ and not just the new movements and the new ideas. I need to put my faith on the foundations. And don't let the barking things around me get me to shift and to make some adjustments. They say, well, Christianity's out of touch with the culture today. I want to suggest to, do, suggest to you we're still farther ahead than the culture is today. We're still discovering what is going on, what has been spoken thousands of years ago. We have yet to discover what God is showing. So much is still being revealed. No, we're not behind. We're ahead of the curve. And we are on a sure foundation in Christ Jesus by the testimonies behind, the testimonies right here, and the testimonies of those yet to come. I can hardly wait to hear those. We have a sure foundation. And I got excited about this, and a song popped into my mind, and it was an old song from Integrity Hosanna. It's an old song, and so I wrote it down and threw it up for you who know this song. Jesus, you're my, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. The first verse, I have a living hope, and then there's an echo. I have a future. God has a plan for me. Of this I'm sure. Then the second verse your word is faithful, mighty with power. God will deliver me. And again, of this, I'm sure. we got to know that. Of this, I'm sure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. That's what John was saying. Build on the right foundation. You want to have joy? you got to have the right foundation to have the joy. Secondly, what John says, let's pick it up, verse 3. Can we all 
Say it together, the right companions. Let's read verse three and verse four together. One voice, everyone. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Not only do we need a right foundation, that right foundation is so important, we need the right companions. We need to be hanging with the right people. We need, as John said, to enter into fellowship with the apostles and those who fellowship with the apostles. The word fellowship is not a typical word used a lot outside of religious environments. Join the fellowship, we say. Be a part of the fellowship. And so that word fellowship is the Greek word. The Greek word that John used here was koinonia. Koinonia is the word fellowship. It means a close relationship of sharing with other people. In other words, it's not a bunch of you guys getting together to watch hockey night in Canada. Okay, that's, that's having fun, not, but that's not the word fellowship. It's not koinonia. It's not, you know, going out to the ball game. That's, that's going out to the ball game. That's relationships and connection, but it's not koinonia. Koinonia is close relationship of sharing with other people, and it adds this part to it. It adds setting aside a private interest and desires and the joining in with others for common purposes. Koinonia means mutual sharing in faith-related conversation. And then koinonia is also connected to the word, and I just discovered this this morning, is connected to the word communion. And so I looked up communion with the definition of communion, and communion we recognize in the religious circles as partaking of the Lord's Supper. But the word, the first definition of communion is fellowship. Communion one with the other. So I'm communing with you. So this is what John was saying. He's talking about we not only have to have a firm foundation, but we need to be in proper communion. We need to be in proper koinonia. We need to be in proper fellowship with each other. The doctrines, those who have spoken and gone before us, his word, and then mutually sharing it with each other. Regular, constant, mutual fellowship where we share our lives. This is where we share our hearts. This is where we share our possessions. This is where we share our tears. Lori mentioned earlier that we were with, she was with her sister. We were up to her cottage for a couple of days up near Perry Sound. And we were talking back and forth. Their church is in Guelph. And we talked about the churches coming back after our time of COVID separation. And what was missing was the fellowship, koinonia. And they talked, and I was just intrigued as I listened to them talk because their church is a very tight fellowship. And they talked about how they missed it. You know, yeah, you could watch it on a screen, you could, but you never fellowshiped. You didn't have fellowship. You received teaching, but you didn't fellowship. You didn't share your life, share your heart, share your possessions, share in the tears. And might I suggest share in the joy. You didn't get an opportunity to do that. Biblical fellowship requires giving and taking around Christ. One of the primary purposes for the Christian church is that our purpose is to provide spiritual fellowship, a place where we can get together as a community so that we can share with each other. So Lori was talking about ladies. We're, we're ladies, you, 
are getting together in a couple of weeks to share a mutual fellowship. Guys, I'm going to be talking about ours. We're getting together. We're going to start by having some bacon and eggs, and we're going to share some fellowship. We've got that plan for the end of the month, guys, but I'll talk about that later. Why? This is it. This is it. This is why. It's not like we need more work. It means that there's something that will reignite my joy when I enter into deeper fellowship. There is not true fellowship on a Sunday morning if all we do is sit back to front, back to front, or front to back. Because you're looking at the back of a bunch of people's heads there. I get to look at your face. But there's not a, not a whole lot of fellowship takes place. A little bit maybe before and after the service if you join in the cafe. That's really not the fellowship. Fellowship is going the next step of the journey of mutually sharing. We come back to that place of where we mutually share something of our lives, of our hearts, of our possessions, of our joys, and of our sorrows. I was thinking about this, and I, I went on a... Uh, I'm not sure I found this. Um, I was on the computer, and I was just searching for an illustration, and it popped up, CNN. Now, I don't follow CNN for a number of reasons, but CNN had an article last year at the end of 2021. The article was entitled, here's the title, Yes, Pandemic Paranoia is Real, Experts Say. That was the article, and then it had it underneath. This is from CNN. Yes, Pandemic Paranoia is Real, Experts Say. What has happened, we have had a real bump. I'm going to say it's been a big bump in the last two and a half years from the pandemic that has disrupted fellowship. And church, be careful. There's a lot of deception right now when it comes to fellowship. I'll share it even though I recognize we're on live stream. I had a colleague of mine was sharing and he was saying people you know, have left the church, and that all churches have experienced it. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 70%. Shifted out, either gone laterally or have left. number have actually left. And they had, they just a few weeks ago, this pastor was sharing that he met with somebody who had left the church, hadn't, hadn't been coming on, and, and he just met up with them. They, I don't know where they were. And he, hi, you know, they're talking. These were regular people. Hey, you know, so good to see you. I haven't seen you for two years. And the person said, oh, no, no, we've been watching online, we've been watching online, we've been watching online. Yeah, we follow you every Sunday on the line. The pastor said, did you see us last Sunday online? And they said, yeah, we watched you online. Here's the thing. The church hasn't been online for almost four months. And the pastor said that. He says, actually, we stopped online the end of April. And the person turned around and walked away. What was that about? So what was that about? There is a deception there is a deception. The enemy has had a foot in the door now. And so beware of this. We encourage. This is the fellowship that has been disrupted. Church is not teaching. Church is communion one with the other around our firm foundation. That's church. And if there's not interaction, if there's not communion, it's not church. It's simply somebody up at the front talking or somebody on a screen talking to you. But it's not church. I've had to, and I don't respond, I try to respond very nice to this, but another one is, Pastor, we're not coming back. I don't know if we'll ever come back. We have church as a family. I try not to say much. I want to, but that's an oxymoron. You can't have church as a family. 
you have family as a family. If you have devotions as a family, that's your spiritual obligation. That's not church. If you read scriptures together, if you sing songs together, good. But that's still not church. That's what you need to be doing. I grew up in a family, and, and I grew up, we sang songs, and we had devotions every morning before school, and we talked about the Lord, but we never, ever called a church. It's not defined as church. Our children grew up in a family. We had morning devotions every morning, 10 to 15 minutes before they went off to school. We had a devotion time. We read some scripture. We prayed with our children. We had music in our home on a regular basis. I played guitar. My son plays keys. My daughter plays bass. My wife sings. We would worship together. That's not church, though. That's family. Church is where you selflessly give of yourself and your giftings to someone else. Selflessly. They're not related to you. You serve others, and you receive their serving. That's church. And so part of the deception is we will continue to have church as a family. And, and I'm just calling it out. Praise God, you have family, spiritual emphasis. But you still haven't entered into church yet. And I don't mean brick and mortar. I mean the fellowship of serving of your giftings to others who have need. And others will serve you because you have need. There are those here who serve me because I have need. And I serve others who have need. He's talking about if you want your joy restored, then you have to embrace the koinonia, the fellowship, the serving of each other. Can I add one more element to this? When we serve each other, let's serve each other with distinction. Let's serve each other with honor and respect. My parents taught me, son, you honor people when you, when you don't dictate the relationship on your terms, but on their terms. And so when they ask you to show up at this time, show up a bit early so that you honor them. But when you show up late, your lateness actually has dishonored them. Maybe even more if you didn't show up, that you just were tardy in that relationship. And so I learned it. My parents, they, they kind of grilled this into us. We were, I grew up on a dairy farm. We had, we, would, we had a parlor. We milked five cows at a time. We rotated them in. took two hours, an hour and a half to two hours to milk all our cattle on our dairy farm. And so we'd get up at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning. Both my parents taught, taught in the church. My dad was an adult teacher. My mother was a Sunday school teacher with the children. And they would travel a half an hour to get there. And they would get there. And my father's philosophy was, son, if you're not there 10 minutes early, you're late. You're late. Because you have, if you walk in, you've dishonored the person that has put effort together. You've dishonored the volunteers. You've dishonored the person who is reaching out to you. It's like you have a very sacred meeting and you just you roll in later. And there are times where you can't help it. You know, There were times where we tried to get to church in the wintertime and we were in the ditch. Obviously, we didn't get to church. But they were far and few and in between. And so might I say fellowship, there's something beautiful about the fellowship. When not only when we mutually encourage each other, get together, but we honor that person in our timing of it. So I come ahead of time so I can honor you and give my respect. And then when we do that blessing, mutual blessing flows, flows out and touches that person's life. We might say, well, my culture is, is you know, we just, we can't get, <laughs> we can't, we can't get our act in gear. 
But um, I discovered that God can help that. And he can really help bring that place where that mutual communion happens. There will be joy when we have the firm foundation, the right foundation. There's joy when we have right fellowship. Thirdly, John says there's joy in the right source. Verse five, would you read this together with me? Verse five, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. The image here is God is light. And that frequently is talked about of God. What does it mean, God is light? Well, first of all, understand the time it was written. Darkness was pretty spooky. Now today, at nighttime, in Aurora, you barely know it's nighttime. I mean, we have all the lights on, street lights. You look up, I can barely see any stars in the sky. When we were at the cottage just a, a couple of nights ago, I looked up and go, whoa, look at all the stars. I can't see that at home. I can see like the brightest ones. We're used to all the lights. We're used to traffic lights, street lights, house lights, lights all around us, business lights refracting up into the atmosphere. But back in that day, when it got dark, it got dark. I mean, they at best had lanterns, maybe some fires, but that was the best they had. And so at nighttime, evil deeds were done. At nighttime, they would lock in their city walls, close their city gates, because keep the marauders out. Keep the thieves out. And bad deeds were done at nighttime, in the dark, when you couldn't see each other. And so this he's pulling out, and he contrasts, he says, but God is light. When there's darkness and you don't see it, and there's, there's fear, but when God comes, fear is removed, darkness is expelled, and light brings revelation. And so God reveals himself. He reveals things when he shows up. That's what John is mentioning here. He says, we need to have the right source, and he's making reference here. He says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Psalms 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light. Psalms 119.130, the unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. God is a revealer of the good. I reveal myself, he says. So our journey is joy-filled when it's based on the revealed truth that God reveals himself. Light, he reveals himself into the situations that you need his revelation. And in that, there is no lack. Now, the last one, verse six and seven. We need to have the right goal. We need to know the right finish line. Let's read it together. Can you read together verse six and seven, everybody? If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, everyone together, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse six and seven, here we find John hints at one of the misunderstandings that was circulating among the church at that time. Because what was circulating, people were saying, listen, I'm claiming to be in, in close fellowship with God, but their lives were morally in darkness. So they were not living separate from the world, but they were claiming to have fellowship with God. And John was saying, you can't have both darkness and light together. You just can't. Because if the light's there, the darkness has to flee. And if the darkness is still dark, then there is no light. Like it's one or the other, it can't be both. And John is calling them on this. He says, you're claiming, you're claiming you are followers of Christ, 
but your deeds and actions are pointing a different direction. Well, that is still a problem today, isn't it? Where we claim to be followers of Jesus, but there's nothing that has separated us from this world. We are still partaking of all the world's delicacies and having not partaken truly of just his delicacies. It's like, it's like if somebody was coming to Aurora Cornerstone Church. Here we are at 390 Industrial Parkway, South Aurora. Now, if somebody called you up and they were coming to Cornerstone Church, and you say, well, where are you? Because they're saying, hey, I haven't seen the church yet, but we're coming. We're on the way. And you say, well, where are you? Well, we just passed Newmarket. Okay. And, oh, yeah, we just passed Bradford. And we just, we're going by Innisville right now. And Barry's in front of us. Now, what are you going to tell them? You're lost. Turn around. You can claim that you were on your way to Aurora until, an old farming expression, until the cows come home, but you will never find Aurora that way. You've got to turn around. And that's what John was saying. He says, you're claiming something, but he's calling them on it. You guys got to turn around. You're going the wrong direction. If you claim you're in the light, but you're walking in the darkness, if these things are still plaguing your life, you're not there. You got to turn around. You can't have both. So turn around. You know, I used the illustration of the spotlight, and I, uh, I think we have a picture of that. So if you have a spotlight on a platform, now if you were going to share and talk or sing or whatever it might be on that platform, you need to get in that spotlight. Does no good if you're outside that spotlight, nobody can see you. So you get where the light is. Now, if the person who's on that big spotlight, if you need to move from this part of the platform to another part of the platform, they guide you that you follow the light to where you need to go. But here's the problem sometimes. Sometimes we as Christians, we don't want to be in the spotlight because soon as you get in the spotlight, all your flaws are revealed. And we don't want our flaws revealed. We don't want somebody to see the things that are wrong. We want that hidden. And it remains hidden if we stay in the darkness. But as soon as we have the spotlight on us, all of a sudden these things now we need to be accountable for. But I want to I encourage you, that's good. It's good to have the light on you. It's good for him to shine his light deep into your heart, deep into your life. It's not bad. He's not doing it to make you feel foolish. He's not doing it to make you a laughing stock. He's not doing it to make you feel inferior that you're not perfect like someone else. Because listen, no one in this building is perfect. So he's not doing it for that. He's doing it to show you some things that as he shows you, if you let him take it, you will have joy. Your joy will come back. And so he shines the light so joy might be reignited. Let's reignite our joy. John is speaking to this and he deals with all these things. If it's no secret. You can't find it in the pleasure and success of this world and what it offers. You can't find joy in money. You can't find joy in security because all that you have to leave behind. John would tell us if you are looking for joy, here's how you need to find it. It's the same way he spoke here. You will find it in the right foundation of God's word. Secondly, in the right companions, in mutual fellowship around his word. In the fellowship 
of the believers. Thirdly, you will find your joy in the right source of God's revealed truth, his rhema to you. And lastly, you got to have the right goal. You got to have the right finish line. And and so therefore, you can boast all you want about all those other things, but if you're not going in the right direction, you're still lost. He is showing you the way. And you will find joy and your life will be transformed. Praise God. So, Father in heaven, I pray for joy. Reignite our joy. God, I pray that we would stop going the wrong direction. I pray we become, we become hungry to be firmly planted on the firm foundation of Christ. God, renew the joy of reading your word and studying your word. Like John, I have, I have heard it. I have seen it. Now I observe it. I intensely look into it. And may I touch you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you now are not absent from us. We are allowed to actually touch you. And I pray, God, we would do just that. That, Lord, you would renew our joy. I pray that, God, you would renew our joy that we would... Be people, men and women, teenagers of the light and realize that darkness and light cannot coexist and that, Lord, by our actions, we will demonstrate Christ is alive in us. Grant that, I pray, Lord. Grant that to each one. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a song. It's kind of our theme song here at Cornerstone Church. My hope is built on nothing less. Come on, let's say it together, the first four lines. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.